hey, hey, it's Carrington with Real Dudes Podcast. And with me is, at the moment, it's just by myself. But you guys know how this works. I'm going to try bringing in somebody, and I'm going to bring in somebody special like I did last time. So this time, I'm going to bring in a guy I met recently at Columbus at the GDEX, Game Developers Expo, which was quite exciting. I think you guys would all like him. I'm going to bring in Steven Zavala. All right, here we go. I'm going to bring in Steven. Here we go. From Flyover Games. And welcome, Steven. How are you? Well, oh, well, uh, hey. hey, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, I was just sitting down to play some Outer Worlds just finishing selling, and now I'm here talking with you. So that's cool. It's a nice uh, little diversion before my uh, my gaming session. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been known to just kind of pop people in. So I hope I wasn't too rude. I hope you're you're not too, too busy because we're going to hear talk about uh, a game I played while at GDEX recently. Oh, yeah. What, uh, what game would that be? A, a little game that I enjoyed playing called Wave Crash. I think you may have heard of it. Oh yeah, uh, it's, that's a weird coincidence because uh, that's the game I've been making. Actually, I don't know if you you realized before uh, you brought me here, but yeah, that's my game. I think a little birdie told me at one point. Um, yeah. So if you could kind of explain how about before we get into what Wave Crash is, how about we get a sense of who Steven is, Steven? How are you? Like, where where are you from? How did you start making games? What do you what do you do in your day to day life? Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, my name is Steven Zavella. Uh, I am the founder and president for life of Flyover Games, uh, currently a one-man indie game studio based out of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, been working in games um, both professionally and on like my side projects for a while now, uh, starting in like 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. Worked at a studio, now long defunct, uh, but called Papaya Studio. Um, they made a lot of licensed games uh, for like Cartoon Network and stuff, a uh, bunch of oh. Ben 10 games. Um, the one I worked on was uh, Punch Time Explosion, which is basically uh, if you take Smash Brothers and uh, you replace mm-hmm. the characters with the Cartoon Network characters, and you don't really change much else besides it's just straight up like the same gameplay system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was pretty cool. It's honestly it was all right. If anyone can find that in their uh, the uh, whatever bargain bin for Xbox 360 or for uh, PS3. Um, go ahead and grab that. Pick it up um, for like a, a dollar. It's well worth the time. Um, I'll keep my eye out for it. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. Uh, check out uh, Hoff Delgado from uh, Grand Adventures of Billy and Mandy. He was one of my favorite characters. He had some cool moves. Um, and from there, just you know, bounced around, did some other stuff, um, uh, some app development, some mobile game development. Um, in 2013, uh, that's when I decided to uh, make you know my own little side studio. That's when Flyover Games was born. Uh, I made a few mobile games, which you can't find anymore because I did not keep them up to date. Uh, because that's the curse of mobile gaming is uh, if you don't swing back around to fix up your game every you know year or so, uh, they just drop them. Um, but Knife That Guy and Pill Popper were the two games that I made then. Uh, knife That Guy was an arcade knife em up uh, where you bounce around a uh, dance floor full of guys trying to knife the one you're set to get and trying to avoid all the other ones. And uh, Pill Popper was a little uh, arcade puzzle game. Uh, you give, you dispense pills to try to even out people's moods, uh, but those pills also affect the people next to them, which could cause them to explode if they get too happy or too sad. Um, I'm thinking about maybe going back and like fixing up those games, uh, re-releasing them, uh, maybe through Itch or some other platform where I won't have to go back and you know keep revising them all the time. Uh, but that's like pretty far down the priorities list right now. Okay. Uh, and yeah, that leads me to here basically where, um, I'm working on wave crash. I have a, a day job just so I can actually, you know, afford to go to events like GDEX or enough, uh, be able to get, yeah, be able to do all the stuff I can do myself, like character art and backgrounds. Um, but at night I'm working on uh, wave crash. Uh, I don't know if you want me to just, uh, go into the, the spiel about that right now or what? Well, I do want to get, you know, maybe a little bit more history about you as far as your gaming history. Like, what what started your love for gaming uh, first? Oh, going way back. What, right. Yeah, let's go way back. For, yeah, for a little, way just for a little bit. All right. No, it's cool. Uh, I, like it. I, I mean, that's the, the one thing I like more than playing games is talking about them. Um, exactly. But, uh, yeah, it really started back uh, when I was just a kid. Um, 
my mm-hmm. uh, my babysitter, she had a Super Nintendo, and uh, a lot of times I would be like the one you know picked up later in the day. Um, so and th- th- the best part about that is that that meant that like there was a good half hour of time where like I had the Super Nintendo to myself. I didn't have to like share with anyone. I just thought, uh, I just you know grind away at um, Mario All Stars and uh, Lion King. Um, mm-hmm. All of those oh, yeah. like. All, all those like licensed Disney games that were just so hard, like these were made for children. They were made for like the target demographic was like seven year olds, and they would challenge me now as an adult. The, the stage with uh, you have to roar at the monkeys to get them to like throw you in the right pattern, and if you mess up, they just throw you to your death. Like as a kid, that might as well be like like cracking a safe. You know, it's like right, how right. am I supposed to do this? Um, and that's when I realized like. Even before I, like, as soon as I realized uh, when you grow up, you have to get something called a job and that, like, making <laughs> games could be a job, I put two and two mm-hmm. together and realized the one job I ever wanted was to make games. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have, like, parents who were supportive to the point where, like, when I told them, you know, as, like, a, a 10 or 11 year old, like, I want to make games, they said, cool, let's, all right, yeah, let's make that happen. I, I have friends who, um, who ended up ultimately going into game dev, but who growing up, like their parents said, no, we're a family of doctors. You're going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they had to go through the whole deal where like they start off going to college with the idea of pursuing medicine. And then like a few years in say like, I won't be happy with this. I'm changing my mind and the, the, the tension that causes. But in my case, like, no. And then I, I read an article about, uh, Full Sail University down in Florida, which I ultimately ended up going to, and I told my parents about it, and like this is where I want to go. It's a you know it's a school just for games. Back before like every uh, college had like a game dev, either a you know dedicated program or just like um, game dev clubs like related to the computer science programs. Like that was the one that I knew of, and I set my goals on that, and I went there. And um, yeah, I'd honestly, like every I, I've had you know jobs that weren't necessarily game dev; they were just like app related or like in a in a just an adjacent field but uh i can't think of really wanting to dedicate myself to anything besides making games i mean that's totally fair and you know that now you're trying to pursue that dream right now with flyover games and and continuing on i mean that's really commendable and you know that's certainly something that i had a dream myself but then um just life just kind of took over and and here I am right now doing a podcast. So I still get to talk about games all the time, but I don't say making them anymore. Um, but what would you say is something that is would probably would you say is your favorite game? Something that stuck with you even today? My favorite. Yeah. Okay. So I'll say top three like, if that's too hard. <laughs> no, I, I can I can find. But like whenever okay. someone says like like favorite game, it's always like. Favorite anything for me, basically, it's just like a lot of times it depends on like the mood I'm in at the time. Um, my go-to for uh, favorite video game is always um, uh, "The World Ends with You." Uh, it was a, oh, an nice. RPG, uh, Square Enix, on uh, originally on the DS, um, mm-hmm. and like I haven't played it in forever, but I just go back to that one because it has the most uh, that that like the densest collection of mechanics I consider to be very innovative mm-hmm. uh thematic and like that i would like to integrate into my projects um i i'll just run through a bunch of them uh first of just the ability to alter the difficulty anytime so like the idea of the game is like your level uh, only affects like how much health you have it doesn't affect your stats so you can mm-hmm. lower that level whenever you want to to increase drop rate and i just love that idea of like a lot of times people will complain oh this game is too easy it why, why, like I'm not challenged by it. I'm not interested anymore. But in that game, no, okay, yeah, you drop your level down to one. So now, like, you're going to be, you know, killed in one hit. That That's as difficult as you can make a video game go. Um, mm-hmm. the, the use of that game of uh, clothing as, like, your gear, and to the point where, like, clothes have a restriction to them uh, where you have to have a certain amount of bravery to wear them. Uh, so the female party member has higher bravery, so she can wear, like, the wise range of clothes. But you can also grind out that bravery stat with your male character, so then he is able to wear whatever he wants to, even switching into what would be considered, you know, traditionally female clothes. Like, that's, like, such a Mm -hmm. thematic idea. And, like, mechanically, it creates this very interesting distinction between the characters. 
Uh, it takes advantage of everything the DS can do. Uh, you have like one, the top screen is for your partner character, the bottom screen is for your main character. Use the touch screen or the microphone for attacks. Like it was so thoroughly strange and like specific to that device. I know they've made a port for the Switch, but I just mm-hmm. can't bother with it because like they have to take away everything that made the game, you know, original to begin with. Like, yeah, okay, the use of the characters and the base mechanics and the storyline, but it's, it just can't exist outside of that one form. And I think that's a very special thing. It's it, To me, it was like an example of um, Square Enix taking all the stuff that would be too weird for like a mainstream Final Fantasy game and just cramming it all into one game. And uh, yeah, it's, so that's why. I, and also, yeah, basically every mechanic in it is something that I would like to take for one of my projects eventually. Like it's, it's very uh, inspirational. I, I I don't blame you. I remember playing that game a while ago. And back on the, I mean, it was back on the DS. So that that was definitely a while ago. But yeah, I, yeah, I definitely do remember that game. And it, it, oh, it, but it's a, it's so different from just everything. Like it, just on top of everything you mentioned, just when you, as soon as you boot up the game, you realize it's something that's there. Yeah, I haven't played I mean, the Switch port though, so I don't know I, what they. I've changed. not played it. I, I just know they had to they had, they had to take away the two screen mechanics. I believe you don't really have that thing where like the the top character and the way it would work mm-hmm. um, is yeah. So you'd control your main character normally. You'd run around. You'd do your text, and the top screen would be a different mini game based on like what partner character you had at the time. And uh, to do well, you'd have to control your character. And you would pass, there's like this little puck that you'd pass the top screen, and then you control them, and it would bounce back. And you had to keep bouncing it back and forth by controlling each character in sequence. And that was like the biggest like uh, skill towards like mastering that game, is being able to like mm-hmm. switch your uh, style of play. And they had to scrap that for Switch, which uh, was, was a bummer. But, um, but I mean, because, yeah, like I said, like it's, it's a problem if you have a, it's the same if you try to like port like, an arcade game that's made for like a full-size cabinet or whatever to like a home console mm-hmm. you're gonna lose some part of it because you just can't you, you can't sell someone a home console like it's um right it just doesn't i mean it works but it doesn't work the it, way it was intended yeah if you had no familiarity with the first game i think it'd be just fine you'd enjoy it but like if you do it's like this isn't this isn't what i wanted agreed and that's a very also interesting choice because you know a lot of people say you know like a link to the past or you know something like that a world the world ends with you that's a very that's a deep cut from square that you know not too many people it was one of those that reviewed well but i don't think it sold super well um i don't know how i mean it, it did well enough to at least like justify they also did like a, a mobile port um so like i said like the, the way of you like choosing favorites in general like it's i mean if i had a base in like hours played or something it would, mm-hmm. it would be different it'd be like tf2 or something right. or um <laughs> if i were to base it on like uh if i were to give something the like quote-unquote objective score mm-hmm. of how good a game can be i mean it would probably because like yeah this was a, a flawed game but a lot of my favorite games are do have like you know significant flaws but um i, I like them because they were made with like a a very um a very discernible like authorial intent like there was some real idea and purpose behind it mm-hmm. uh for instance i i also like psychonauts like that's a, a great game um right but then yeah it also has like problems like once you unlock all the abilities a lot of the platforming just you can breeze through a lot of it and then the very end of the game they just decide well that's over and now you're really gonna be challenged so you can spend like just as long in the last level as you did in, like the previous five like it's but um it was so clearly made with like this idea of uh, you know entering psyches and what does that mean to like represent someone's like uh, you know neurological malfunctions as like scenery. scenery. And it was, it was mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much like all of Double Fine stuff is like that for me. Where like none of the games have been like objectively perfect. Like none of them are like oh yeah, absolutely ten out of ten. But um, they're always made with a clear purpose. Like. Uh, a brutal legend. Um, their idea was like, let's make a metal game, like the most metal game you can. And like, what does that mean? Like, it means 
there are dragons and zombies and hot rods and you fight things with a guitar and like it, it means all these like different uh you know diverse types of metal all coming together to form like one core aesthetic and it doesn't always gel but you can tell they went for it as hard as they can and i really value it I I have to applaud you for that just outlook on things because I think that also really shows through in in Wave Crash as well, uh, which I think is a perfect way to start talking about it because it is at least to me because I love puzzle games and it it's it is a, a puzzle game but it's different in in a way that's has this loop to it that I I could not stop once I started I I didn't want to stop. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Should I could run through just like a, a summary of what Wave Crash is, real quick? Or um, yeah, sh- yeah, that'd be it. Now cool. would be the perfect time. All right, all right. Um, so yeah, the the short pitch is uh, Wave Crash is a head-to-head puzzle brawler where you match blocks to smash faces. Uh, the idea is um, combining elements from a fighting game with a puzzle game uh, to create something that can be uh, you know easily accessible with the, like the match the mechanics, but also like open to um, to higher level competitive play and that real like uh, more quote unquote hardcore style of gameplay, um, and yeah, I mean the the core the, the core mechanics of it uh, for anyone who hasn't played it is um uh, it's one on one as it's the default game mode. Uh, your two characters run around in a board made of you know colorful blocks, and uh, you match those blocks into groups of three or more, and then you launch them as waves at your opponent to try to hit them, uh, scoring hits pushes a divider line forward, like sort of like a reverse tug war kind of thing, which grants you more of the board and your opponent less of the board. And uh, when you push that line all the way to your goal, you win the game. Um, and then to mix that up, uh, you know, there's different characters. Each have their own like special trait and special attack to differentiate them. Um, but it really just comes down to that, that core idea of a, um, you know, a puzzle game uh, smashed together with a fighting game. Yeah, and I think that's. I'm surprised no one has done this yet. Uh, so, um, where where did you come up with the idea to have something like this, where you kind of just mash these two genres together? Because ultimately, it's it's when you think about it, it's been done, but not like this. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. So it, it always sounds corny when I say it, but um, it really. Uh, I, I had a a dream where there was this game like. It wasn't actually a video game. It's just like a game happening on like a table with like little characters running around, uh, throwing in these square-shaped waves at each other. Um, and when I woke up, I was like, "Oh man, I can't wait to play that game." And I was disappointed because it, it didn't exist. Um, <laughs> so I sketched up an idea for it, and um, I brought it to work that the morning and uh, showed around some dudes, uh, including my friend uh, Willow. Um, and he told me. Uh, you know, truth is so that uh, my original idea was just way too complicated. Uh, the way it was really sketched out as was um basically like the screen is divided into like a top half and a bottom half. And on your bottom half, you're essentially playing Puzzle Bobble, uh, you know, that the game where you like you um, launch the balls at different trajectories to try to like match them up and clear them away um, or, or bust the moves in other variations of it. And the top screen was uh sort of like a Mega Man Battle Network style um two characters facing each other uh moving around on a grid uh and the idea was you would match the blocks to get the the energy or mana or resource or whatever uh that your character on top would use to attack and um yeah so the problem was you're basically playing two separate games you have to like focus on two totally different things and yeah he's right it was too much so um I just sketched up another idea basically mash the two together, um, have your character and the puzzle board be the same space. Um, and yeah, you, you thought that that seemed better. I did too. Um, so I went back and uh, decided to make a little prototype of that. Um, and when I brought it in, like the, the original idea of it, uh, the, the one main difference is um, when you would send an attack, it would... Uh, like it would collect all the blocks into like one row in front of you and then launch that. Um, okay. And the first person I showed it to said, well, I expected to like make the same shape of whatever the blocks were before you attacked. And I realized, yeah, that made a lot of sense too. So I went back, changed it up like that. And the game's been more or less the same since then. I've adjusted things like, like the speed of things or the size of the board um, and added on like 
a couple of additional mechanics, but that was really the core of it right there. Um, and uh, look, looking back on it, like uh, a lot of the games I used for inspiration um, were other puzzle games I really enjoyed. Um, Luminous and Meteos being like two of the top ones. Uh, mm -hmm. Luminous because it had a very similar multiplayer style where there was like a divider line, and as you did better, you took more of the board from your opponent. And uh, Meteos, which are for uh, the DS, and, like a lot of my yes. go-to games are from the DS. That like a really influential <laughs> console for me. But um, but because the idea of uh, blocks being treated like physical objects, not just like uh, you know just geometric shapes, but like in that game, the blocks were meteors falling from the sky, and when you match them, they become rockets and take off, mm -hmm. uh, lifting blocks on top of them. So in this game, the blocks when you launch them become waves that can travel at variable speeds. And when they collide, they crash and cancel out. That's why it's called wave crash. But uh, um, and obviously, uh, puzzle fighter because I feel like I mean every puzzle game made for multiplayer owes something to puzzle fighter. That was you know that's pretty much the OG as far as like um, that style of play. Like I mean, yeah, there's been other like multiplayer puzzle games, but I, don't, I feel like none of them really have the same pedigree as Super Puzzle Fighter. No, yeah, it's, I think that's what struck me the most because I mean there were I mean at GDEX where where we met uh, there were a couple other puzzle games there. I mean, there's Collapses, which I, I'm also a huge fan of, but then, um, which thought it also is a big standout as well. But yours, I love just also like the style, like the, the way the art style is, is what drew me there. And also just how easy it was to pick up. And I feel like anybody can pick this up and learn it within a few minutes of time and still just have a great time with it, whether they're winning or losing. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I mean, regarding the, uh, the art, uh, just to, you know, uh, drop some of my own accolades. We did get the, uh, the mm -hmm. best art prize at GDEX, uh, yes, which yes, I owe to my, uh, my super talented artist team, uh, Sean Martins, uh, and Liz Polanco, who did characters. And then, uh, Sam Olson, who, uh, does the backgrounds. Um, the, the trick is find people who are way better than you at things. And then just like, mm -hmm. like have them help you. Like my, my art direction is basically just like. Here's uh, some you know, screen caps from different things to make the character look like, and a few lines of description, and they're able to turn that into some really cool stuff. Um, and you also mentioned collapses. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of those yeah. too. Uh, Jay and the whole Wraith Games team—they're they're great. And we do like um, we do have like discussions or like you know bounce some ideas off, just like test each other's stuff, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's cool to see. Like I, I like seeing um everyone else you know working in the puzzle game space because um. It is, I feel like for a while there, it was a little undervalued of a genre, like around the uh, the rise of mobile games, because people viewed them as more of like smaller time wasty things. But um, now I think it's coming around uh, with more, you know, I mean, not necessarily high profile releases, but at least like getting there, cl climbing our way up there. But um, exactly. And, and yeah, I appreciate what you said about uh, the uh, quick tailoring, because that was one of the, the goals once I started really getting into the, uh, real you know details design of the process um mm -hmm. uh for instance so one of my i really like fighting games but i'm very bad at them uh that's why i wanted to make a puzzle version of them so i can actually play them but uh one thing that's always uh very intimidating when you first start a fighting game is you jump into the character select screen and it's like here's like you know 25 distinct characters and the only information you get about them usually is like their name like they don't they don't right. tell you how they play or what they do. Um, so in, in Wave Crash, like, and then the character select screen, there every character has a trait and a special attack. And I try really hard to make sure that those can be accurately described in just a few lines of text, so you can actually, you know, look at them and tell, like, uh, you know, what, what does Momoko do? Oh, she she runs faster, and she can do like a shadow clone. And you might not necessarily know what the shadow clone does, but at least you know, like, that's what I should be looking out for when I play her. Mm -hmm. um, and the same with like, there's not a lot of like hidden. Like if you go through the uh, tutorial of the game, it shows you most of it. Like there's not very many like hidden mechanics necessarily. Um, and mm -hmm. I really wanted to avoid that because yeah, I, I like. Um, it's always fun to start a new game, but it's never fun when like your friend figures out like the secret to it before you, and like not neither of you is really sure how it's happening. Like oh, you, you didn't realize you could like press this button to like spend meter to charge up your attack it's like no I, I didn't how would i how would i know that um and that's been yeah a big part of wave crash making it very very accessible
Yeah, and 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 I, when I was there, I think I was playing. I played against you for like a match or two, and then some people, random people, came up and started playing as well. And I played it with them, and it was just so easy to just pick up and just and just go. And I'm like, man, this is. I could see me just taking this to a friend's house and still being able to show the show this game off to them, and us having like a this great time uh, just playing it together. And I, that's really hard to capture, I think, um, especially in this, especially with games that are unique. Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, like uh, another, I mean, a lot of other exhibitions were um, like other games of that sort. Those are like party fighters, kind of like um, uh, Lethal League is another really good one for that, or uh, Nidhogg, where, yeah, I really uh, value these games that you can just, you know, play against people. Uh, that's when like, I've always wanted to get good enough at like a fighting game to uh, really feel competent at it, but uh, it, it's just hard if you get like a new one and if you're not familiar with the genre, but you're uh, like a friend or whoever you normally play against is, like the game stops really being a game. Like you can't, you know, like if it's just you getting bodied over and over again, there is it's very difficult to like learn or um, or really figure out what you did wrong. Another game, if you just keep you know dropping a uh, game so people should check out besides mine uh, or after wave <laughs> crash i guess uh check out um fantasy strike uh from Serlin games uh dave Serlin's a great game designer and uh fantasy strike is his take on the fighting genre just um how to make it accessible um and you know it is basically to make a fighting game that like people who play any other fighting games can come together and share so like if, if oh i play uh Dragon Ball Fighter Z, it's like, oh, I need to play Tekken. Well, we can play Fantasy Strike because it has like the core fighting game, you know, ideas without uh, very elaborate, you know, controls for each character. So I really, that's a really good one to check out. Um, and yeah, I don't, I mean, not to like just keep reading the phrase, but yeah, that's the idea with Wave Crash is um, if as long as you understand the basic concepts of a puzzle game, like uh, you want to, you know, match blocks, matching blocks is good. And you understand mm-hmm. the core yep. concepts of a fighting game. Uh, you want to hit your opponent, and you want to not get hit yourself. Uh, you can pick up the rest as you go along. And so, with Wave Crashers, because um, uh, it's not done yet, so how how much longer do we have before we can start playing it? I mean, Wave Crash is currently available. Um, okay, there's an early access version on Itch uh, for five dollars. There's a few more pieces of content I want to do before I can consider it like 1.0 complete. Um, right. I mean, it's like, I feel like right now it would be fine enough, but it just was, uh, just, you know, personal, uh, yeah, just personal missions. Um, that currently, uh, each character in the game, uh, is themed to a specific color. That's the color they want to match to do their special attack. And there are five different colors in the game. So, to make it even, you know, if I had like two for each color, that'd be ten characters. Uh, right now, I'm at eight characters with a, a ninth shortly on the way. Um, she's mechanically done, but uh, still just have to finalize the art. Um, and then, and the final tenth and final one currently in just um, some prototype testing phase. Um, and then a few more stages. Uh, each stage, like it's mostly just the art and sound, but there is also mm-hmm. like a gimmick mode you can toggle on that alters the rules. Uh, for instance. In the city stage, uh, whenever someone scores a hit, it scrambles the entire board. Or uh, for the forest stage, uh, I basically borrowed the the whispery woods or wispy woods gimmick from uh, Smash Bros, where like wind blows one oh. side or the other uh, to speed yeah. up one player and slow down the other side. Um, just as like an extra little variety, and just to get like the amount of content I feel satisfied with. Um, there's no like hard release date for this right now. Uh, okay, hope, I'm hoping for early next year but a lot of it does depend on like um you know my schedule and my personal budget to actually like finish up this art and everything um but like i said yeah if you i mean if you want to check it out um it's currently available on pc and mac on itch.io um it'll be on steam for the final release but i wanted to use itch for my early access because i can't um maintain like a consistent enough update schedule to make uh steam early access really um viable like i feel like that, to do that right uh you need to be able to update you know like at least once a month or several times a month uh to maintain mm-hmm. interest and I, I can't really do that yet so i'm just gonna save that for the final release but uh for anyone who hasn't used itch before um it's like if you imagine uh steam if um 
like people were like friendly and cool to each other and um mm-hmm. it's, i mean like i i sell the game for five dollars there but uh, the average that people paid for is six just because they choose to pay an extra dollar or whatever um right it's been, been really cool compared to like the steam experience where like if when i release this game full price like ten dollars or whatever uh i'll probably get some comments saying like i mean this is a positive game i'll check it out when it's like three dollars i'll check it out when it's like 70 percent off it's like cool uh, all right i appreciate your feedback um, <laughs> that's not really much that's not really feedback though either <laughs> no I, a lot of it isn't a lot gotcha. of it is not feed. like if you yeah. i mean if you uh, if you were to like take away the uh steam user reviews that weren't actually about the game there, there'd mm-hmm. be like one tenth of the reviews like <laughs> oh this guy he said a thing i didn't like on twitter so boom don't buy his game oh well great thank you yeah yeah steam can be kind of a dumpster fire when it comes to reviews but you know everyone's got it i mean yeah and some are very helpful like some can be very right right Um, but it's just whether or not comes from a place of like uh caring about the game and the developer or wanting to hurt the game the developer like the second one probably isn't going to ever lead to a a, you know good feedback now really quick because i i I met you at gdex have you been to other conventions as well have you been able to show off uh, wavecast elsewhere as well oh yeah um so i've been to a few major ones uh Mm -hmm. more ones in the area um i regularly go to uh, yumicon which is an anime convention in detroit uh, which is coming up at the end of uh, this month to be coming up, um, yeah, like October 31st through November 2nd or 3rd. I can't remember. Okay. But um, it's coming up quick. Yeah, it's coming up very soon. So I'm, I'm partially getting prepared for that. Um, I've been to a few major ones. I went to uh, PAX East uh, last year, 2018, um, mm-hmm. as part of the Indie Mini booth. Uh, I go to other conventions, not through the show of the game, but just to be there, I go to GC regularly. Um, I went to uh, Busan Indie Connect, uh, which is a um, an indie games fest in uh, Busan, South Korea. Uh, that was last year. Oh. That was a, a really cool experience. Um, I'd recommend if anyone out there is, makes games of your own, look up uh, Busan Indie Connect and send your game in to be judged. Because if they select you, um, the only thing you have to pay for is like the flight out there. They cover you know hotel and like the booth is free. Um, and you get to meet a lot of like i met uh, developers from you know korea and singapore and indonesia and a lot of people who i wouldn't have ever really been able to meet uh besides this event uh it was a lot of fun um that was uh where i went on an interview for um for a korean youtube channel and uh it was the first time i heard the game described as cutthroat or like there was a word in korean that i always look up and i always forget again uh okay just the idea of like the you know the good player or successful player can like roll that into being better um but mm-hmm. the closest thing to think of was cut through. I was like, hey that's a, all right i'll put that on like the little blurbs uh <laughs> and, um as this interesting phrase um but that was that was a really cool event and yeah like i mean one of my favorite things to do is to demo the game i like to see people pick it up for the first time um this was the first of my game projects that i ever really did that for uh, so it's been like a continual learning experience uh, of how to make the game be more immediately appealing and uh, more eye-catching, and then how to uh, process people's feedback. Because um, there's never been like necessarily bad feedback, but there's always like stuff that you do seriously consider and stuff that you just say like, yeah, that would be cool. Uh, but inside, you know, like I mean. Some people, some suggestions, uh, you know, they break whatever internal rule set you built for the game. But it's still cool to see, like, whenever even uh, feedback that's not really something I could do, it's always cool to hear because it means that someone thought enough about the game to provide it. And I really appreciate that, that they would um, try to, like, delve into these mechanics and come up with, like, their own take on things, like their own character ideas or their own adjustments to rules. Um, and every event i go to i get at least like one piece of information like that that is something i can think about it at least well that's good and i'm glad you'll be able to, to show it off and or continue to show it off because i 
like I said, this game, it, it left an impression on me, like a really good, it's the same impression I got uh, playing something like, like Collapses, for example, because it's just, as soon as, it's just one of those, those two games, yours and, and, and Wraith games, it's just, I just love the puzzle game, and it does, I don't think that genre gets enough love. I mean, Tetris seems to be coming back a little bit, which is surprising, but I think it's really cool at the same time, but seeing just something that's also different than what I've played before, it it leaves an impression on you. One that I hope people get a sense from us talking about it. And it, it encourages them to go check it out because it's, it's just something, it's just an experience that I just, it's hard to put into words. I just about this game. There's, you just knocked on something. You touched on something that, that, that just struck a chord with me. Something that really speaks to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's part of like, um, puzzle games in general. Like, I mean, going back, like you mentioned Tetris, like mm-hmm. uh, tr- try to think of, for me, Tetris is like this elemental game because I can't imagine a a world where it didn't exist. You know, like imagine like, uh, imagine right. we're in the current year, the current day, but like Tetris never happens. Like, no, it would have had to happened eventually. Like if some mm-hmm. eventually someone would have done it. It's like, the, the invention of like the automobile eventually someone would have figured out how to put it together like someone would have um done this but and it, to me like yeah I, like um i pick up pretty much like any puzzle game i find it's in particular because uh in a good puzzle game like the core concepts of it are always simple it's i mean in the basic mm-hmm. as the falling block genre it's like cr- here's a pattern we want you to create uh and here's a bunch of different scenarios once you create that pattern and it's that matter of finding like all the separate moves and separate routes that can get you to achieve that pattern. And there's something like to me fundamentally satisfying about that. Um, and it, in my case, like with Wave Crash, um, I was trying to avoid more of the uh, some of them are more about like creating chains and combos, uh, like Puyo Puyo style. Um, mm-hmm. and I was trying to avoid that kind of uh, pattern recognition and make it more about like reaction to an opponent and like addressing that scenario um mm-hmm. but either side though like fundamentally it's the same idea like here's the end goal you're trying to get to and here's a bunch of pieces and go do it and there's just less of a um less obfuscation behind it like in a lot of games like in most games that's really what it's about like here's actions right. at least success now go do them but then you know you have to find ways to like hide that uh, for a player, like find ways to make that a little harder to discern, like what that is. And puzzle games are just more about, like, no, here's, you know, here's what you want to do. Just make sure you can do it quick enough or accurately enough, or um, you know, under enough pressure. Uh, I mean, you look at like they recently had the um, uh, Tetris World Championships, and uh, how at the highest possible level of the game, it comes down to be able to master that, like both the, the mental uh, acumen of understanding the um, patterns of the game and the physical dexterity of being able to like, manipulate it at that high. Like For a while, there was a, a plateau of like, nope, here's the path you can do because you can't get the block to like get from one edge to the other before it's the the baseline. It's like, and then they discovered, no, if you just tap the button at like the high enough speed, you can break mm-hmm. that barrier. And uh, that led to like increased levels of play you could reach. And just the idea that that could happen uh, you know, decades into a game's life cycle, like that would be a dream to make a game that people care about in like 20 years. Like that's the rarest possible gift for game dev. Think about like how many games were considered like classics or just, you know, terrific games in, ni- in like 1999 and now they're gone. Like that's, um, that's like the barrier to hit. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree with all of that. And and I, I even watch the Tetris World Championships. I watch them every year. I have been for the past couple of years. And it's just, it's cool to see just in a couple of years how what you were saying, the the whole pro, pro scene has changed just in a couple of years. And it's just like, wow, yeah. this game has been out like, since you know late 80s, early 90s, and it's still changing today. And and the idea that like the the current world champion wasn't born when the game was released, like he he is yeah. younger than the, the game that he's the champion. Like think about that's that's crazy. Like um, it, it like throw attention on like competitive gaming or whatever. But like I I really like following competitive games, but it's just strange to think about that even the longest lasting games are still just 
so young compared to actual sports. Like that's and to see like what could last the test of time. Like what game could possibly last as long as like football has lasted in America. Like what what would it take to do that? And I feel like it would take something that is on that level, like like Tetris, where like yeah, it is like this is the game. Like it's it was released. It wasn't touched because it, it can't be by the limits of technology. It's just wholly what it is. Um, and it's just up to players to determine how that game functions. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, don't worry. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's like, like that. The whole idea is just something that comes up a lot. Like, um, or at least in my crowd, because I have um, some friends who run a regular uh, Smash Bros uh, tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. Workshop FGC. If anyone is in the the Dearborn, Michigan area, check it out the workshop. Um, but and we, we talk a lot about like um, esports and like what competitive gaming means. And um, to me, it's supposed to be the barrier. Like the like as long as like one company um, actually owns the game and controls it, mm-hmm. that's always gonna be like the big difference from physical sports. Is that yeah, we have like one football league and the NFL, but they don't get to determine like what football is. they can't just like alter reality to change the structure of the game and the way that um like riot regularly has to do for league of legends or um you mm-hmm. know any other company does for their game uh it's something that exists outside of it and they just get to be the arbiters of it um yeah, I know. That's I an interesting that's point of view. I've never really heard of, I mean, I've never really thought about that before because I've always wanted, you know, of course, obviously I wanted esports to grow and become normal like football or baseball or something like that. But that's an aspect I've never really thought about. Yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, I don't know how much more of a tangent you on, but this is like, basically, if I talk for a lot of my games, it eventually goes to either mm-hmm. um, esports or card games. Um, so I guess this time it's going to be esports. But uh, yeah, like, the the idea is um so just the idea that the game only exists for as long as like the company you know allows it to like if they decide to shut it down Mm -hmm. then it's just gone and the league only exists for as long as they propel it um and that to me like along with the barrier that like uh video games just automatically have that layer of abstraction over top of sports that they don't have to worry about like even if you've never played a game of basketball, you still understand that like when you throw a ball in the air, it, it comes down. That's just how reality works. But if you're watching like a game of Overwatch and you're like, well, what just happened here? It's like, oh, well, I mean, McCree just stunned that person. It's like, oh, how do you do that? Well, it's just a thing you can do. It's like, well, why didn't they stun him? Well, because they, they can't stun. There's all this layer where like of different abilities that aren't inherently like part of just you know the real conditions so, like if you're not familiar with the game it's a lot harder to like appreciate what you're watching like i've never uh played like football in any organized capacity school or wherever um but i still understand like there's a reason why when someone hits someone else they fall down because that's what happens when you get hit by someone like, it's um and it's i think that's a big barrier not to try to make them like more mainstream um is that like to an outside observer these games are all it's all just made up you have to there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff you have to cover to be able to even understand like why things are happening that is something i have talked about with a um with my brother-in-law actually because before he started getting overwatch i was watching the overwatch league at one point and he came over and we were chilling and he was like well what's going on i had to explain to him everything and you know, you just like if no one has ever watched baseball or football or basketball in their entire lives, they can learn the game by watching it and listening to, you know, like the the commentators or if you have someone near you, um, they can, of course, explain some like simple concepts and things like that. But with Overwatch, there was so much going on in just a matter of seconds. I'm like, I, I, I don't know how to explain this to you without me explaining to you everything and of course, like the camera angles weren't really helping a whole lot, which was I in my even oh, though yeah. I knew what was going on to me, camera angles mean everything, and that's the one thing that bothers me about the like the Overwatch League and League of Legends and all that stuff. Camera angles don't yeah. do those games justice because you can't see everything that's going on. You see, they usually show a player or um, a perspective, and the, to me, that that really diminishes people 
new people trying to learn what's going on, especially with something like Overwatch where it's crazy and you know the pros are just always shaking their the, the screens all the time. It's like I I know it's hard yeah. for you to get what's going on, but for me I know what they're doing and what they're what's going on. But that that is a barrier that I do think that esports is facing right now. And once the it's going to take the the right game to do it, and I don't know what that is yet. But it is interesting to see it grow, though. I feel like um yeah the the camera angles you mentioned that's a big part too. Is that like. Mm-hmm. All of the biggest like spectator sports in real in real sports, physical sports are, you know, you can see them all. Like they're they're all visible. Mm-hmm. Like you can see the Sheffield play. Um, which I feel like is one advantage that fighting games have over um over shooters and over mobiles is that yeah, the entire field of view is in front of you, and literally all the information in the game is in front of you because it's all made to be viewed by the two players playing. Uh, like if you if you look at like a League of Legends. Uh, broadcast like they also have the panel of, like here's everyone's gold and everyone's item layouts and like mm-hmm. if you don't know what those icons mean they aren't helpful to you it doesn't what what is this sword you don't know um even if you're familiar with like the entire game pretty closely if you just like have you know not kept up in the past like month or two it's still like what what is this information mean um mm-hmm. and that's why i feel like yeah like the i feel like if a game can get that kind of cross, like I know they've had um, uh, at Evo, they've had like the finals of like Street Fighter on like ESPN or ESPN Two or whatever, and I feel like mm-hmm. that's one game. Like fighting games, they still have that level, layer of meta knowledge where you don't necessarily understand like what a character is capable of compared to another character. But at the very least, the announcers can fill in those gaps and tell you like mm-hmm. what each person's game plan is like oh this person's gonna try to like, keep their distance and throw projectiles this one's gonna try to close that gap and get them in some grapples like cool you can at least break it down which is simpler than you know in a five on five or six on six match where like every player has their own you know sort of subset objective they're trying mm-hmm. to accomplish during the game um and let's bring it back to wave crash like it's easy to understand when you look at it because it's like if they fully transparent game everything that's happening in the game is viewable on the screen you see all the blocks you see the characters like the only thing that you don't see is just what is in someone's head Mm -hmm. um and that's where the game happens like that's um so i feel like there's some value like not that it's gonna be like a spectator sport but at least like when you're watching you can sort of pick up on like why someone is winning or why someone is losing uh whereas that can be kind of abstracted in like a moba or a shooter I I completely agree, and that's and that's why I think I can you know take this game if I were to have a couple friends over and we can all get into it and I I may I may be explaining just some of it like oh hey it's it's like it's just a puzzle game like Tetris or something like that and then they'll uh, people will just pick it up immediately and know what I'm talking about and and just go with it and we can all just be able to you know have our own little tournaments or something like that which is I think is a great thing about it. Oh yeah, cool. Um speaking of tournaments, uh further on down the line, I've done like little mini tournaments at uh every mm-hmm. convention I go to I do like just a random like impromptu thing where someone gets a t shirt. Um but uh like I'm doing a um larger one. Um or like a sort of side tournament at uh it's called Seasons Beatings. It's been put on by uh the workshop FGC uh December seventh, I believe. Um so if anyone wants to check that out, it uh, should be a fun time. It's also going to be a place where they're having a uh, Smash Bros. tournament and whatnot. So uh, um, it'd, be, it'd be cool to see like, how many I know I've gotten some people who um, they've kept in touch after GDEX. Um, I don't think they're necessarily in the area, but like at least hearing like their thoughts on like higher level play and stuff has been uh, very interesting. Because um, mm-hmm. uh, that's one thing. Like uh, I, I go to a lot of events like this, and you see people play the game for the first time. Um, but my favorite thing is when you see someone play it for like come back around for like their you know third or fourth or fifth match like throughout the day or the next day or whatever or, or bring friends and reach that level where um you can tell they're really trying to not just like get a handle of the game but to to win to really like you know master this thing that's always a, a cool feeling to see. Oh, I'm I'm sure, and that's got to be a, a great feeling. Um, so Steven, I think we've taken this conversation as far as I think we can take it. Um, so for now, where can people find you? Can they talk about you or talk to you rather? 
And where can they check out uh, the game Wave Crash? Yeah. Um, all right. So you can find the game Wave Crash uh, at either um, just go to itch.io and search for Wave Crash or uh, just wavecrashgame.com. Um, you can, uh, I'm mostly active on uh, Twitter. Uh, the handle is uh, flyover underscore games. Uh, I have Instagram. I need to update that. I'm not mm -hmm. as big on that because a, a lot of times I just like words. I don't always like pictures. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm also technically there. At it. You also find, you can also join, uh, I have a Discord, uh, discord.gg slash flyovergames. Uh, that's all one word, just flyovergames, um, where you can, you know, chat about the game or chat about whatever. Um, uh, if you're lucky, maybe I'll mention my secret future projects to you. I don't know. Uh, I was about to say, do you have anything in the works that we should keep our eyes out for? Yeah, uh, nothing. I mean, nothing to reveal publicly um, after okay. Crash. I have uh, definitely some ideas um, that I've been like bouncing around some other people. But right now, the goal is just to uh, to wrap this up. Okay, sure. Yeah. I Steven, thank you for, for coming here, despite me, you know, just randomly transporting you here. And uh, no I, I, yeah, and I hope that uh, we look forward to what else comes with uh, Wave Crash in the future. And hopefully um, we get to see more projects from you in the future as well. All right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And you have a great day. And as always, have a rad day. See you. See you.